Welcome to Straight Talk with Kathy, your go-to source for health and wellness discussions from one of our country's leading motivational speakers, Kathy Robinson Pickett. And now, without further delay, here's Straight Talk with Kathy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Straight Talk with Kathy. I'm your host, Kathy Robinson Pickett, and I'm a woman with something to say. And boy, do we have a lot going on lately in our news and around the world. Um, it's October, and there's so many awareness months. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's Sexual Assault Awareness Month. It's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And goodness knows how many more um, things we need to be aware of in the month of October. Before I start this week's show, I just have to say I would be remiss if I didn't um, thank Ryan Donovan so much for the new update and the new facelift on our website. It's exciting, it's easy to access, it's great for teachers and for parents to be able to find the shows and past podcasts easily and use them and use the information that we would provide. So thanks so much, Ryan, for all of your hard work. My head has been just spinning for the last couple of weeks with all this government shutdown business and everything that we've got going on in our country. And I want to just say one thing about that. I've thought about it a lot. I was going to do a show about it. But um, I just don't want to give it too much more energy. What I'll say is it feeds exactly into what we're going to talk about today. And that's domestic violence and sexual assault and power and control. And what I will tell you is what's going on in our country is no different than an abusive relationship. There's an abuse of power going on, um, and I don't care if you have an R behind your name or a D behind your name. Our elective officials are not doing their job. They're not doing what we sent them to D.C. to do, and we, the people, are paying a price for that. And many of you, I know, listening to this, have been furloughed. You have family members that have been furloughed. You have students that aren't receiving aid that they need. You have kids that are not getting into cancer treatment programs and NIH trials that they need to be in. We have kids not being able to attend their Head Start programs. We have all sorts of things that are happening because a bunch of people are showing themselves having a hissy fit and not doing the job we elected them to do. And with that, pension is so high everywhere you go. So I decided that this would be a really good time to talk about what can cause people to get out of alignment in their life, what can cause relationships to be out of balance, and some resources that we have out there. Since this is October, it is Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, but I talk about domestic violence in a much different way than a lot of people do. Domestic violence is a much bigger picture than so many people think that it is. When I first started teaching domestic violence classes, the reason I did was I was going to continue education programs where domestic violence was being partnered with HIV classes. And the only thing the teachers or instructors were talking about was a man beating up his wife. And for me, as a teacher, as someone who has worked in the HIV world as well, as someone who's done social justice issues her whole life, and as someone who's been a victim of abuse as well. I thought that their programs were very short-sighted 
and not anywhere near all-inclusive. All I will tell you this show today is going to be a little bit longer than our normal shows because there's just so much information that I think you need to have as parents, as teachers. So um, just be prepared that we may go just a little bit longer than usual. I want to start out with some statistics around sexual assault. And the reason I'm using these statistics today is that um, it is Take Back the Night celebrations um, going around on college campuses and high school campuses the whole month of October. And oftentimes those events um, don't always have the statistics around sexual assault. They do around domestic violence, but for some reason they don't have those statistics included. So if you are hosting one of those events, I hope you'll include some of these statistics as well. First off, 84% of all rapes occur by classmates, friends, acquaintances, or family members. That's staggering. We teach our kids about stranger danger, and absolutely we need to do that. But we also need to be aware that oftentimes the perpetrator is somebody we know, somebody we trust, somebody that we like. 51% of all rapes occur after the hour of midnight. You may say, well, Kathy, why, that, why is that important? Well, that goes back to when you go out, have a plan, stick to the plan, never leave your friends alone. 57% of rapes occurred while on dates in our country in the last few years. One out of six American women have been the victims of an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime today. College-age women are four times as likely to be sexually assaulted. Sexual assault victims are 13 times more likely to abuse alcohol, and I personally think that that number is very low. In my work and with college-age students, I will tell you that um, I've seen a much higher percentage than that. 26 times more likely to abuse drugs. That's self-medication oftentimes, keep in mind, and four times more likely to contemplate seriously suicide. Every two minutes, someone in the United States is sexually assaulted, whether it's a female or a male or a child. 60% of sexual assaults are not reported in our country today, and I will tell you that in our southern communities and in our rural communities, that number's higher than that, I think. Obviously, we don't know for sure. But in folks that come and sit in my office and have conversations with me, the vast majority of them, almost none of them, have never reported their abuse. One out of 33 men are sexually assaulted in their lifetime, and I will tell you that number is low. Um, what pans out in my office, talking to young men who have been fondled, abused um, as children, molested as children, I, I personally think that number is a good bit higher. And what I will say is they certainly are the least likely to report. In one-third of all assaults, the perpetrator was intoxicated. Um, that's important. That goes back, that doesn't excuse anything, but it goes back to what messages are we giving our kids, what messages are we giving our college students about how to be prepared to live in the real world, how to have... A, fun time and a safe time all together. So those are just some sexual assault, um, assault facts that I thought we should start out with that you should know about. So the real question that I get most of the time is, Kathy, what contemplates, what contemplates domestic violence? What constitutes that? What, what does it look like? Um, well, first off, 
physical abuse, most of us are well aware of what physical abuse is. And please know that we're talking about abuse in any relationship. Married, gay, straight, partnered, parent-child, child-parent, um, any relationship you can think of that is, involves a domestic situation, a family situation, whether it's a legal family or not, um, that's what we're talking about today. So physical abuse. What I'll tell you about physical abuse, especially if you're a teacher or a social worker, if you see bruises on faces, arms, extremities, usually that abuse has been going on for a long time. And you have one of two kinds of perpetrators. You have a perpetrator who has been able to commit physical abuse and not suffered any consequences for it, so now they're just not worried about it. Or you have a serial perpetrator who's gone from victim to victim and, again, usually hasn't faced any consequences for that. What I will tell you is most physical abuse you don't see. You don't see the bruises. People are hit in their kidneys, their hair is pulled, their arms are twisted. Abusers do not want to be caught, so they don't commit the abuse where you're going to be able to see it. The worst case of physical abuse I ever have been involved in and seen um, happened many, many years ago before cell phones. I had a pager. I was teaching one day at Holmes Regional Medical Center, and my pager was going off 9-11-9-11, and I finally called the number back, and it was a domestic shelter in the state of Florida, and they called me and they said, Kathy, we need you to come here to our shelter today. We have someone we need you to talk to. And I said, well, I'm in Melbourne, and you guys are about four hours away from me. Can I make arrangements to come tomorrow? And they said, no, we absolutely need you to come today. So when I was done teaching, I got in my car, and I drove. I got there quite late in the evening. I met this woman. She was gorgeous, middle-aged, dressed very well, um, very well put together, stately, I would say. And my first instinct is, why are you here? Not that she shouldn't be leaving the situation, but it was clear that she probably had financial beans to be somewhere else. This woman had been married to a very famous plastic surgeon in California. And for the last four years of their marriage, he would come home at night and he would restrain her. And he would put needles under her fingernails and under her toenails. What made her leave was he began doing it to their 14-year-old daughter as well. What had made her run was when they had gone to court and told the judge what was going on. They had never told anyone. They had never told their priests, their friends, their neighbors, their other family members. And her husband was able to hire someone, a psychiatrist, to say they were crazy. And the judge had given him custody of their daughter. The scars and the calluses under their fingernails and under their toenails were unbelievable. Not able to be made up. Not a fictional story, but no one had believed them, and they had ran as far and as fast as they could to try to get help. So no, you don't always see physical abuse when it occurs, and nope, it knows no socioeconomic barriers. It happens on every side of this track, in all races, and in all socioeconomic classes, for sure. Verbal abuse, we're kind of familiar with that. You're an idiot. You're ugly. Without me, you would be nothing. Verbal abuse and emotional abuse oftentimes go hand in hand. Those abuses often are way longer lasting than physical abuse. And you would say, well, Kathy, how is that possible? Well, I will tell you, a bruise heals. The scars that are left from verbal and emotional abuse, they stay with the victim for a lifetime. 
oftentimes will be in a Walmart store or a Target store. You'll see it. You'll hear it. You know it when you see it. When you see a parent tell a kid they're fat or they're ugly or, you know, whatever that is, you're, you're not as good as your sister. I don't know about you, but it makes me cringe down to my, down to my toes. Oftentimes I've tried to intercede in some way, not very, time, very often very successful with strangers. But certainly when you hear it, you know it and you feel it. Emotional abuse. Emotional abuse is such a big picture. It's withholding affection. It's a child who makes four A's and a B on their report card and comes home all excited to tell their parent. And instead of the parent going, wow, woo-hoo, let's go celebrate, the parent goes, well, what the hell did you do to get a B in that class? Emotional abuse is withholding that attaboy. It's withholding affection. It's withholding hugs. It's using emotional things to control a victim. It's, it's a huge picture. It happens lots in dating relationships. And please understand, perpetrators, victims, both male, both female. Emotional abuse is really a setup for bigger things to come in most cases. Along with that often comes isolation. Now when we hear the term isolation, we think of a man who takes his family, moves them to North Dakota, South Dakota, somewhere far away from their family, their friends, and isolates them in a community and withdraws them. That certainly still happens today, but not near as much because electronics kind of keeps that from being as big of a factor. So now often, and sometimes because of electronics, isolation becomes self-imposed isolation. Think of this scenario. It's Christmas time. At Christmas, they always go to the husband's mother's house for Christmas dinner. And when they go, his wife and the mom are always going to get into an argument. The wife may say, I can't believe your mother gave our child a brown shirt. I can't believe she cooked turkey again. Can't she cook anything besides turkey? And a fight ensues. It becomes easier to make an excuse not to go to that situation than to go and be part of the drama that ensues. Self-imposed isolation is this. One Wednesday a month, everybody at work goes to Chili's for happy hour after work. You don't go, not because anybody tells you you can't go, but you know if you do go, you're going to hear about it for the next six weeks. So it becomes easier not to go. Those wonderful gadgets that we have called cell phones now, particularly the smartphones, boy, can they serve as a tool for isolation. People are able to stalk you through that phone. People pick it up. And ladies, some of you listening are guilty of this. I know you are. I see it happening. You slide your husband's phone over. You scroll through the messages. Maybe you look at the text to see who he's texting. So then what? Is there any privacy that exists there? Is that any more okay than someone opening your email account and reading your emails and you being afraid to write emails because someone may look at them? So you kind of cut yourself off from your friends? Facebook pages, MySpace, Tumblr, it's all wonderful. But it also can be used in a power and control situation and we see it happening all the time. Conversations have to happen around that. Another form of isolation that I've seen so much working with college students 
is people cutting themselves off when they get into a relationship from all their other friends. I see boys start dating girls and the girls stop going out with their friends. Oftentimes the boy is still playing baseball or soccer or doing this or doing that or still going to, to the fights with his friends. But she stays home in the dorm waiting for him to call for her to go meet up afterwards. Self-imposed isolation. Something we need to be having conversations around. Financial abuse. Financial abuse is a big one. Now oftentimes when we think of financial abuse, we think of two people working both people bringing home the paycheck, one person turning it over, and the other person giving them $40 to go buy groceries for a family of five for two weeks. That certainly is a control situation around the finances. But oftentimes, financial abuse is much more subtle than that. One time I had a student in my office. The student came in. He slumped down in my desk, and he just looked like he'd been run over by a Mack truck. And I said, honey, what are you doing? He's like, Kathy. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a biology major. I hate, hate my classes. And I said, well, honey, what do you want to be? And he says, I really think I want to go into mental health. I said, well, that's no big deal. You're a junior in college. You have all these credits. They'll all go to the same thing. Maybe you'll have to take an extra three or four classes. And he said, no way, Kathy, I can't do that. My dad will disown me if I don't become a doctor. I said, oh, honey, there's no way that your dad really means that. Let's talk to him. Let's get a plan. Well, after about three days of spending time with this child, I made arrangements to call his mother and his father with him to have a conversation. And as I was dialing the father's home phone number on the, on the phone where his mom was going to be as well, I knew that both of his parents were doctors. He says to me, Kathy, do you know my mom hasn't practiced medicine since my brother was born? Now, I was on about number six of the dialing pad when he told me that. That would have been good information to have before I finished this call. Since his brother was four years older than him and he was a junior in college, that means his mother had gone to medical school, worked her behind off, and wasn't practicing as a doctor? Huh. Well, when I finished the call, I got on the numbers, I got on the phone, still pretty sure the dad would not disown him if he changed his major. Guess what? Dad fully meant that. If he was going to change his major, wow, really, really, and guess what? That's exactly what he meant, and he cut that child off immediately. Well, the happy side of that child is he went on and changed his major because he knew he had to take care of himself. He's gone on to graduate school. The sad thing is, his father really has. Not just financially, but emotionally, spiritually. He has no contact with his son. A wonderful child. A kid who's bright and talented. Dad has no business trying to control that child through the purse strings. It doesn't work that way. Sexual abuse. We all think of sexual abuse as rape or sexual assault, and absolutely that sexual abuse. Molestation when a child is young. Incest. Improper touch. All those things go around sexual abuse, but so does exploitation. Internet pornography. Internet sites where people are watching pornography 
and not having real relationships with their wife or their spouse or their husband. Sexual abuse is a much bigger picture than just molestation or sexual assault. This is just the tip of the iceberg. But these are things that your friends, that people you know, that your students are facing every day in their homes. We never know what goes on behind closed doors. But what we can do is offer resources for people to be able to get out of those situations. Your job is never to judge someone. Your job is never to say, get out or I'm not going to be your friend. Get out. You're so stupid. Why are you in this situation? Your job is a friend, a family member, a medical provider, a teacher, unless we're talking a child who can't make choices or decisions for themselves, is to be supportive, to say here are some places for resources, here are some places you can go to get help, here are some things you can do. Do you have a safety plan in your own home? By the way, what room in your house do you think is the most dangerous room in a home? I'm sure you're all thinking about it and most of you are thinking the kitchen. It's not the kitchen, it's the bathroom. One way in and no way out for most people. There may be a little window, but most of us couldn't squeeze ourselves through it. There's electrical appliances, glass, ceramics, flooring, things for people to get hurt. The safest room, according to most of the studies, in a home is the master bedroom. Now, I will tell you, I don't think a lot of those studies are done in the deep south or the Midwest because in the master bedroom, oftentimes we have shotguns and hunting rifles and bows and arrows and, you know, all kinds of stuff in our closet, those of us that are country folk anyway. But what people have to do is look at their own home and figure out what is a safety plan for me. If you have a child in your home, your child must be part of the safety plan. If your child is old enough to talk, if mom and dad are fighting, you need to hide under the bed, go to the neighbors. If 911 is part of your safety plan, teach them how to dial it. Years and years ago, we had a friends together kid who was killed. Mom and dad, dad was in and out of prison. Mom was quite ill. Dad had gotten out of prison, had been home three days, came home, was beating the crap out of mom. The son now, the dad didn't mean to kill his son, really, truly. His son was four years old. He ran out of the bedroom to save his mom. He jumped on his daddy's back. Daddy, daddy, daddy stopped. And when he did, dad pushed real hard. And when he pushed real hard, the son went over and he hit the wall and literally broke his neck and was dead before he ever hit the ground. Children have to be part of the safety plan. Family members have to be part of the safety plan. People can't get out oftentimes as soon as they would want to. So as they're making their plan, they have to figure out, how will I leave if I leave? One day I had a woman in my class. She was a nurse. She stood up. She said, it took me five years to get out of this relationship, five years to leave my husband. But I started making a plan early on. She says, I gathered all my paperwork, my kids' school records, their shop records, all the things I would need to get licenses and restraining orders and enroll my children in school. But I didn't know what to do with that paperwork because I couldn't take it to my mom. I couldn't take it to my pastor because those were the places he was going to go. So she went to Walmart, bought the biggest can of coffee she could, put the coffee in the canister, put all her paperwork into that can, and she buried it at the flagpole at the cemetery that she would visit. 
When she was ready to leave, she went there and dug that can up, and she was ready to go. Some people have told me they've pulled the wall board up, they've pulled carpet up. If you don't have a good enough plan, you're coming back. We know that. The average person leaves a domestic situation five times before they're gone for good. Plans take time. Help someone if they need it to work that plan. But don't say, if you don't leave right now, then I'm not your friend anymore. The reality is, when someone says to you, you don't know what may happen if I leave, you don't know what may happen. Years and years ago, I had a friend. She was a professor in a school. She had been married to her husband for years and years. They were childhood sweethearts. He was never physically abusive to her, but he had been emotionally abusive to her for years, had a countless number of affairs. On her 50th birthday, she packed her suitcase and put it in her trunk, and she left. She went to a Cracker Barrel restaurant to have lunch with her two best friends and tell them what was going on. When she came out of the parking lot, he was in the parking lot of the place next door. He walked across the lot, had a gun, and shot her dead. When someone says to you, you don't know what may happen if I leave, I promise you, you don't always know what may happen. Your job is to be non-judgmental. Your job is to offer support, a lending ear, and resources to someone else. I want to end this podcast today with a couple more statistics. There's so much I want to tell you, and I promise you there's tons of resources. We're putting them on the Facebook page. We're putting them on the website. There's help out there for anybody that finds themselves in a bad situation. But parents... Hear what I'm fixing to say to you right this minute. One in five female high school students reports being physically or sexually abused by a dating partner while still in high school. Abused girls are significantly more likely to get involved in other risky behaviors. They are four to six more times likely to become pregnant. So much more likely to think about suicide so much more likely to hurt themselves, to cut themselves. Please have these conversations. Have them often. Have them frequently with your children, no matter how old they are, with your kids in college, with your friends, with your neighbors, and understand that domestic violence, physical, spiritual, emotional abuse occurs both ways. Females can be perpetrators just as well as males. Males can be victims just as easy as women. It happens as often in same-sex relationships as heterosexual relationships. It is an epidemic that our country refuses to address only when a celebrity makes the news. This is not about O.J. Simpson or any of the other celebrity football players, basketball players that have beaten, hurt, or killed someone they loved. This is about you your family, your friends, your children, your students. This month is called Take Back the Night. Take Back the Night. Talk to people you care about. Look for resources. If you need help, reach out. We will help you find those resources. 
We're going to post up a, on the Straight Talk with Kathy Facebook page, so you can go there and look. So if you're not friends with us on Facebook, it's Straight Talk with Kathy. You go there and you like the page. You can friend me personally at Kathy Robinson Pickett. You can email me anytime at straighttalkwithkathy at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Straight Talk Pod. Until next time, be the boss of your brain.